Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about healthcare uh, post-midterm elections and to walk us through where we might be going uh, in the months ahead, I'm joined by Fred Turner, who is Chief of Staff for Senator Bob Menendez here in New Jersey. Also, John Bessler, who is the CEO of Bessler. Molly McDonald of Win- Winning Strategies Washington. And Mike Marola of Winning Strategies Washington. Everyone, welcome to the podcast. Good to Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. So uh, we were chatting just before the podcast began and uh, you know, sort of reconciling what happened in this, in this midterm. And one of the things that has been noted, I think, in the media a lot since the midterm uh, is the exit polling. And one of the statistics that we've, we've t- been talking about is the fact that um, for voters, it seems about 41% of them noted that healthcare was still their top issue. So you know, I found it fascinating with all the passions and, and issues that are out there in the country right now. Um, that issue has not been forgotten. It is still on the voters' minds, and it was in their voters' minds as they went into the polling booths. Um, this past Tuesday. So, Fred, let me open it up with you. Um, where do you think we go from here? Um, you know, it's obviously on everyone's minds with a divided government going forward. What are we, what are we looking for in terms of health care? Well, let me just say to your first point, certainly uh, in the polling that Senator Menendez's campaign did uh, over the past six to eight months, we certainly knew in New Jersey that health care was very much at the top of uh, people's minds. Uh, millions of people who did not have access uh, to quality uh, health insurance prior to the Affordable Care Act uh, coming into existence then had that access. Uh, close to a million New Jerseyans uh, have some type of pre-existing uh, condition uh, that they wanted to make sure moving forward their health insurance would cover. And so we certainly knew with, uh, with the Trump administration and the leadership in Congress trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and people in New Jersey four square against that, we knew that was something that we wanted to talk about. Senator Menendez was one of the original authors of the uh, Affordable Care Act. He knows the benefits that it's brought to the nine million people that he's privileged to represent here. And so that was something that we were absolutely going to uh, talk about. And as it happens, this is obviously something we didn't uh, plan on. You know, we had the uh, benefit in some respects of running uh, against a pharmaceutical executive um, who you know, we, we, we thought we had an opportunity to tell a story about uh, the high cost of prescription drug prices, um, you know, and, uh, and Mr. Hugan had to tell his story uh, about the high price of prescription drug costs. So certainly something I think the next Congress is going to tackle. Certainly an important issue in this race. And Molly, um, this was obviously uh, an issue that was on the minds uh, of the Trump administration when they first came into office, right, um, and and something they tried to tackle, didn't get over the finish line uh, with the changes that they wanted to see. Um, now, with a divided Congress, what do you think might be on the agenda for them? Where do you think they might be looking for common ground or, or other uh, changes, perhaps on a regulatory um, stance? Yeah, so I think that drug pricing is going to be high on the agenda. In the past, it's been something that has been more of a democratic issue, but I think President Trump has, it's something that he's talked about a lot and put a lot of Republicans in a somewhat difficult situation, um, having to face their constituents and, and face the president over the high prices of prescription drugs. And so I think there are definitely areas that 
um, Republicans and Democrats will be able to come together on that. Um, the administration has obviously continued to push forward with regulatory efforts to that effect, um, but I know that that is something that the Democrats that are coming into power have said that will, it will be top of their list. Um, so so some January. common ground on drug pricing, um, perhaps going forward, that could be an issue that they could look for common ground and, and tackle that. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was obviously uh, noted that about seven governorships, I think, um, flipped to the Democratic um, side this past Tuesday. Um, one of the things that I wanted to put out, particularly uh, John and, and, uh, and Mike uh, in particular, um, when you talk about things like Medicaid expansion, right, and in and, and those states, at least in some of them, that was something that, uh, that was a road they were not going to go down. Do you see that changing uh, in, in the coming months? I, I absolutely think it will. Um, whether you call it the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare or something other than that, uh, I, I think the, the basic tenets um, of, of the health care system that, that we have now are overwhelmingly uh, popular and overwhelmingly positive, and I think Medicaid expansion is a key example of that. If you look at uh, some of the other polling that, that's been done, when people now have access to health care that otherwise didn't, they like that. That's a positive thing in their lives. And, and so I think as we look across uh, the national landscape and their states that did expand Medicaid and, and did provide additional access to other folks that otherwise wouldn't, um, the other states are, are looking at them and saying, well, why didn't we do that? Um, uh, why can't we do that? And if we have control over it, well, let's do something about it. And so, so I think expansion is something that you know, now with, uh, with the, the blue wave or the blue ripple, again, whatever you want to call it across the country, I think we will start seeing some very smart and fundamental changes from the states that, that did not expand Medicaid um, and will now take a hard look at it and be forced to uh, because their constituents now want that. They, they look at other, other folks across the country um, and say, why not? Mm-hmm. The only thing I'll add to that is that three that Medicaid expansion was on the ballot in three states, mm-hmm. and those states overwhelmingly um, agreed to to do that. So I think you're going to see if if the governors of states are not going to do it, I think you may see the people trying to take it into their own hands to make sure it happens more and more. Do we see a, uh, a Medicare for all push coming? Certainly. Um, there were some progressives that won that were sort of, I think, were more left-leaning um, in certain cases that, you know, that was a, an issue for them and something that they, that they brought about uh, a lot during the campaign. Um, is that something that you think we're going to see a push, push on for the next two years? Is that more of a 2020 type of a discussion? What, what, what does that feel like going forward? From my perspective, I, I would say that that's a, a much longer-term uh, strategy and, and tactic that uh, – Candidly, I don't think we should give up on as a country. Um, I think there's a lot of merits to taking a hard look at, at programs that, uh, that, again, could provide access um, and do so in a fiscally responsible way. Uh, when you look at the Medicare program, it's the most efficient payer across, uh, across our health care delivery system. Um, about 96% of, of funding goes directly into patient care. Um, with a very low administrative cost associated with that. And so, so I do think that if, if we have uh, the right people in the room really talking about the, the, the basics of what Medicare provides as well as what we can roll out uh, fundamentally across the country. I don't think it's a conversation that we should shelve. That being said, I do think that it's a longer-term conversation. I don't know if we are fund- fundamentally there as a country to really embrace something like that because I think you'll see 
both sides of the aisle maybe pushing towards an extremism in either way. Um, and, you know, and candidly, once you start clouding the conversation with the, the extreme ends of the argument, I think you, you, uh, you very unfortunately tactfully miss what, what really can happen in the middle, which is negotiating and coming up with uh, responsible policy that works for everyone. When I think to that end, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about Medicare for All over the next two years, and I would imagine that it will come to a head in some ways in 2020, and I think Democrats ultimately need to decide what Medicare for All means. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen even throughout the midterms that different candidates had different definitions of you know, what the actual nuts and bolts would be of the policy. And so I think it's going to be um, a little bit of a come to Jesus over the next two years. Um, and whoever's at the top of the ticket for the Democrats, they're going to have to come to an agreement on what that means, how strong they're going to, strongly they're going to push for it, um, and, you know, whether it's feasible. And let me just add, you reminded me of, uh, of another point that I wanted to, uh, to address is I think it's we need to define what Medicare for all really means as a country, right? I mean, you could ask two people and it could mean two very different things, let alone either side of the aisle. And so, you know, as we've seen, certainly in our business uh, with Medicare Advantage plans, really having that, that, what I would call a guise of Medicare, it really isn't. And so if we're, if we're talking about Medicare for all and we're saying, well, Medicare for all really takes the form of let's just push it all to the Medicare Advantage plans that are supposed to be uh, a, a proxy for what CMS and, and Medicare does, um, it does not play out that way in a very uh, tactical level, specifically for the hospitals, for the providers, and also for the patients. And so when we talk about Medicare for all, I think we should also be very careful to not push us into Medicare Advantage for All because it, it is two very it's two very different animals that we need to be thoughtful and considerate about. I don't disagree with any of that. I would simply say that, uh, uh, as John said, he, he's not certain that, uh, that the country is really in agreement on uh, Medicare for All, and I would take that a step further, and I would say they're certainly not, at least if, you, if they're reflected by their uh, representatives in Congress. I think for Democrats, what we believe is the more Americans that have access to quality health care and quality uh, insurance, the better off this country is. And we've had problems delivering quality health care to millions of Americans for years and years. So whether that shape is a Medicare for all or something different, um, we can discuss that. But certainly, I can't imagine that something will come out of the House of Representatives within the next two years from a Democratic majority that would be acceptable to what appears to be an even more conservative majority in the U.S. Senate at this point. So I I do suspect this is going to be a topic of debate in 2020 for a presidential race and when control of Congress comes up yet again. Just one more area I want to touch on. one of the uh, staples of the Trump administration to this point has been deregulation and, and looking looking to reduce the number of regulations that we have. We've certainly seen from CMS where they've backed off uh, on things like some of the mandatory bundle payment programs and, and other things that affect um, hospitals uh, across the country. Do we see any sort of a change in the velocity of, of that, that deregula- deregulation now that um, we have uh, sort of a mixed legislature? Does it, does it feel like there's going to be additional oversight or, or, or less aggressive uh, deregulation now Now that we have, um, again, a mixed, a mixed Congress? I think there will 
most certainly the additional oversight, uh, you know, that is probably number one on the agenda for House Democrats. As to the velocity of the deregulation initiatives, I don't particularly see them slowing down. I think while there may be more oversight, um, if the president feels like he's hitting a wall with a Democratic House, I think he will waste no time in using administrative channels to try and um, accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Um, and so if he feels, you know, backed into a corner, then I think we'll see even more coming out of the administration than we have over the past two years. Everybody agrees with that? Yeah, <laughs> it seems, yeah, like, seems like everybody Apparently said, that was a great answer. Yeah. 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 Seems, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more oversight on the part of House Democrats over the next two years. Uh, unlikely for the president to uh, get public law uh, in the way he might want it out of uh, the regulatory agency. So uh, the tool to go around Congress certainly is through the, uh, the regulatory state. And it is exceptionally difficult for Congress to... Uh, by law repeal a regulation. It's been done, but uh, it, it takes a majority vote by the House and the, and the Senate, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately something that the President would veto, and then would have to, Congress would have to override that veto in order to strip away a regulation. That's, that, that, that is not something that's going to happen in the next two years. Very good. Well, certainly healthcare is still a front burner issue. We've seen that through this election. It's, it's uh, something that we're still grappling with as a country. And I certainly appreciate everyone's viewpoints on that uh, on today's podcast. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.